Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Wonderful humans, and welcome to the last episode of 2021 for Sister Speak with Dr. Emma J. Church. That is me. Um, you know, I get a little bit giddy at the beginning of these these podcasts, especially recently because I've I've had some uh, friends come on, and this one's one for the books. So get excited! Uh, this is my very best friend in the world. Um, my family, my platonic life partner, um, the joy of my heart, just she's everything to me. And I'm so grateful to have her on the podcast today. I can't look her in the eye when I'm saying these things. Um, uh, but I'm so grateful to have her on the podcast today. It's going to be a little bit different. You know, it's a year in review in a lot of ways. And, um, during COVID we've all grown and changed and, Maybe our social circles have changed and grown, and and the hope is we've learned things about ourselves in this these unprecedented times. And um, this amazing, talented woman um, has been such a significant part of my own healing journey and learning. And I'm so grateful to have her today to talk about our friendship. And um, you know, I, I don't want to be too effusive at the beginning because I'm going to be effusive throughout this hour. <laughs> um, but you'll you'll get to hear about her journey to um, our meeting this year. And, and we're going to talk about conscious friendship and conscious relationship and the beauty and intimacy of that. Um, something that is so rare, so hard to find. And man, oh man, am I grateful for her really beyond my wildest dreams to have um, someone like Courtney in my life. So welcome, Bestie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm <laughs> sitting here smiling ear to ear with my shoulders scrunched up. <laughs> so thrilled to be here with Emma. Oh my goodness. I know we've talked about this for some time and it just feels like the timing is perfect, which is something we talk about all the time. Like the timing is what it's supposed to be for, for all things in life. Everything is happening exactly how it's supposed to happen, exactly when it's supposed to happen. That's right. That's right. So, Court, give our listeners um, your backstory, where you're from, 
kind of maybe cover some, you know, we all have our traumas in whatever way you want to, um, so that, so that they can get to know who you are from who you've been and where you've been. Yeah. So I am not a Waco native nor a Texas native. So I've been in Waco for the last 11 years. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, just like kind of in the context of me, but also in the context of friendship, I'm going to kind of talk about, um, that growing up. So, um, I was raised in a great family. I was kind of the Brady Bunch. We joke like we were the Brady Bunch. We just love each other and had dinner together every night and prayed together every night and uh, evangelical family. And um, uh, it was kind of idyllic. Uh, it was also, um, you know, it was the 80s and the 90s. And um, so we were pretty free range. So it was a beautiful childhood, really. Like I loved my childhood. And I see now, like, there was such a huge emphasis on friendships then. I, starting pretty young, uh, became best friends with my next door neighbor and then a bunch of kids that lived in my neighborhood. And I was out of the home way more than I was in my home. And, um, um, and yeah, I think a lot of my, who I was, uh, was in relationship to the people around me and to the friends around me. Um, I spent every weekend spending the night with my best friend, Jennifer, and or she spent the night with me. And I mean, I mean, constantly I was in my friends' homes all the time or they were in my home. And there's a lot of really, really beautiful parts about my childhood that I love, like all of that. I love all of that. I mean, starting that started at age like five or six and continued on through, I mean, the entire thing through college. And also there's a part of that that is um, instead of uh, developing a sense of self and who I was based upon who I found myself to be uh, inside of myself and having like a secure base sense of self based upon, um, you know, and can I sit with myself? Am I comfortable with myself? It was really based upon what do these friends and these relationships around me, um, what do they say about me and what do they think about me and what is the feedback I'm getting from friends and how do I need to edit myself um, to um, fit in with them? So uh, in the context of friendship, that uh, is childhood and it was um, – Lots of rainbows and butterflies and laughter and high school football games and all the, the great things. Um, I got married pretty young. Um, I started dating um, my then husband in college and uh, was married at 23, pregnant at 24, baby a couple days after I turned 25. And um, none of that was in my original life plan. Um, we moved to Waco to join a large church here. And um, at the time, uh, we're kind of on a missions-esque track, and that's why we moved to Waco to do a discipleship training school that's popular here in town. And so that was our whole community in Waco, and that was 2010. And so when I moved to Waco, I kind of got a built-in friend group. And in that, that circle, you know, one of the big draws to – um, 
an evangelical church that way is a sense of belonging mm-hmm. and um, a sense of you belong. There's a place for you here. You belong. And there are so many requirements on your time as far as life group and service. And, uh, you know, for me, I was on staff at that church. And um, so I had a built-in friend group um, of friends that I made and between all of those activities. So I was living, um, I think, as so many young mothers do, uh, kind of day in and day out um, with lots and lots and lots of friendships that I would say were unconscious friendships. Yeah, you're kind of like asleep in it because there's so much going on and it's just you get into a rhythm without actually thinking about it or do I even like this person or do they even know me? Yeah, or how, like how do I feel when being around this person, spending time with this person, and does that even matter as a Christian does that matter how I feel? No, because all that matters is love God, love others. And do I make them feel good? That's what matters, right? Mm. So it's, um, you know, I, I wasn't at the time consciously unhappy or um, dissatisfied um, in friendships. And, and to be honest with you, I did have quite a few friends that really showed up for me in big ways. And um, fast forward through time, um, my ex-husband, um, we split up the very end of 2018 and um, had a very long, messy divorce process um, that wasn't finalized till July of 2020. Um, and, and you know, from that church, I did, during that process, have um, a handful of friends that were, um, that showed up and helped me. Um, I had a few friends that broke my heart and betrayed me in ways that I thought I just didn't see coming. I thought, what, what, like, what, what is happening here? Um, but you know, when you go from being, um, you know, I'm in Enneagram, jury's out. Maybe, (laughs) maybe Enneagram four, maybe Enneagram three. We don't know. We're discovering (laughs) every day. We're discovering. Um, but as an Enneagram, I have a lot of it, three, I'm either four wing three, three wing four, but so much of my identity was in my performance of, um, you know, am I achieving, am I performing? And that achievement was for me being raised as an evangelical Christian, like, am I having what appears to be the perfect marriage to people around me? And am I parenting perfectly, my two boys? And am I doing friendships perfectly and leadership perfectly and service perfectly and, and my career perfectly and all these things? And if I get divorced, what does that mean? What does that say about who I am and my identity? And this goes back to what I like started saying about friendships growing up because I didn't have a secure base of like, am I okay with God? Some people would say the divine universe and and myself Mm -hmm. can I sit with myself um or does it matter is my identity wrapped up in 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 other people's perception of me Mm -hmm. and I think this thing with the the church oftentimes and belonging it almost becomes about conformity as well and conforming to this ideal of who you should be how you should be as opposed to living into our authentic selves, which would be look like 
a broad diversity of ways of thinking and being and feeling and acting. Mm -hmm. And when you get into those closed cultures, um, it's so normed to just find yourself, whether you're conscious of it or not, conforming to something that is not necessarily authentically who you are yeah but will give you the belonging and so this is where I think about like conditional love versus unconditional love um in relationship in general not Mm -hmm. just in partnership or friendship yeah yeah and there's so many ways that I mean I look back now and it's so complicated being part of a system that in my soul uh, there were so many things that I agreed to and 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 said and came out of my mouth that I was part of what I see as an abusive system and also I was an, a victim of abuse in an abusive system and also having to like go through that reality of like and also I was part of that I was a perpetrator who also continued this system and and abused other people spiritual spiritual abuse and you know in these ways and coming to terms with that over the last few years and and making peace with that but yeah it's just it's a lot to unravel but what you're saying like with the conformity piece that sense of belonging um with friendship that's something that I really want to touch on in our conversation today and and reflecting with my friendship with you is that the sense of what it looks like to have a friend who even when you're making um decisions that um uh, your friend does not, or your partner, whoever you're in relationship with does not, uh, think is what's best for you. What it means to disagree, um, with that person, or maybe have a different opinion than, than what you're, how you're seeing them act. And yet not pull your love away, not pull your acceptance away. You validate, because this is what you do for me, Emma, you validate me as a human being you validate my emotions as having um, a good reason for being there and my actions like, well, there's a good reason for this while not saying this is a great idea and you should do it. I support the idea <laughs> necessarily. I um, was thinking about that driving in today, kind of what prepared me for our friendship and part of it is this kind of spiritual deconstruction of my own. I think about, you know, the maybe more high school version of me that was like super on fire for evangelicalism and all of the desire to save someone else, therefore change someone else to be how you think they should be, which, you know, in my heart as a young girl who is very much an evangelical, I just didn't want people to go to hell and I was taught that they would go to hell, but there was an agenda always. Um, And maybe I wasn't preaching the gospel to friends, but I always had some sort of an agenda for them, which creates this like top down, like I have a way for you that you need from me that I think increases judgment and um, just really messes with the ability to respect fully that other person that you're in relationship with. And so, you know, thinking about that on the way here, I'm like, wow, that that was an important piece of all of the storylines in my life that led me to our friendship. Um, and this idea of just non-judgment, because, you know, you talk about choice, and I'm thinking in my mind mistakes. And, you know, mistakes <laughs> have a negative connotation. 
But the reality is we all make mistakes. That is very human. And it is part of a learning process of like how you want to be in the world, um, what what things you don't want to do again. And, and we can't negate mistakes. It's normal. It's human. Everybody makes them. But within certain cultures or like the church oftentimes or within um, relationships that may be unconscious, those mistakes are judged by the other as opposed to connected with in this human way of like, you know, Courtney's making this choice that may be a mistake, a.k.a. a learning experience, mm-hmm. just like I'm free to because I will make mistakes i'm gonna we talk about those all the time and learn from them and in that space we can be equals without any kind of need to control the other i love that so much and you can feel that and that's what i have so deeply felt in friendship with you is a lack of need to control one another and just what a beautiful experience it is in friendship to be able to offer yourself to another human fully without holding anything back. I can tell you the ugliest, worst stuff about myself. And I do, listener. (laughs) And I love it, listener. (laughs) Emma knows the worst of the worst about me. And, um... You know, I don't have to, I don't have to think what is Emma's response going to be because I know that even (laughs) if it's something truly terrible, it's not going to change your, um, your closeness, your love, your affection, your openness to me. You're not going to pull away from me, um, because of, of anything that I could possibly share with you. So even if it's something, you know, if I, if I'm want to be alone, if I'm, when I'm stressed out, I want to be alone. So if I say, I don't want to talk to anyone and I want to be alone, I know that you won't take that as a, she hates me. Mm-hmm. You'll say she wants exactly what she's saying is what's honest because I'm always honest with you. Yes. And I believe you and you are always honest with me. And I think that's a piece that we'll get into with our friendship is like, the building of trust and that that happens slowly over time. And as this, this trust is built, you know, which I, we talk about did not know was happening because <laughs> listeners, if I had known, I would have sabotaged the friendship because I'm terrified of people. Um, you know, and, and I'm scared of friendship. I hope it's okay if I kind of share a little bit of my friendship background for the listeners. Um, you know, so <laughs> Courtney's such a magical human being. Um, you know, I'm a, a deep four, and my childhood was better probably than I experience it to be because mm-hmm. <laughs> the pains that I felt, and, you know, I was diagnosed with clinical depression at 10, so, you know, I was um, in a lot of emotional pain, but that, that feels highlighted most of the time, and it, it takes a lot of concentration for me to, like, think of the good parts of my childhood, but, um, you know, immigrating to America when we were seven, I think it was so hard because my family had to build friendships and, you know, we learn our relational patterns from our families of origin. And, you know, I don't know that, um, it was helpful for me to see 
um, the ways in which friendships were built primarily through the church because that was um, a place of belonging and, and they weren't authentic. And as a four, you kind of struggle to not be authentic. That's like your, your main drive. And so I wanted to be more palatable for people. And, and in stress, you go to two. So there's this people-pleasing aspect, which I was good at. But um, I didn't know what healthy relationship could even look like. And so when I think over the course of my life, the patterns of my friendships, there's so much codependency there. And there's so much um, kind of anxious attachment of like, come close to me, come close to me. So I would find myself, um, you know, sacrificing and, and, and maybe even potentially looking back, not even knowing what my own needs were. You know, you talk about like, who am I? Am I okay with myself? But I would buy people's friendship. I was so kind. I was a doormat. I had no boundaries. Um, and I got into a pattern that, that existed, until I would say the beginning of this year of being in friendship that really turned into kind of an abusive dynamic. Um, and, and that was, you know, I wasn't aware of that per se, cause I didn't know what a healthy friendship felt like. Um, but also like it was part of this pattern I was used to over giving and then people would expect me to have no boundaries, to be available to them, to hire them at my office, even though they're not a therapist, to um, let them have full access to every part of my life. And then all of a sudden when that became too much for me and I would shut down, then I would be punished. Um, and some of those punishments looked like, you know, uh, and these are, um, I will say, people that call themselves my best friend um, over the last 11 years here in Waco, one of them trying to get me fired from Baylor because she, I didn't hang out with her outside of the office. Um, and all of these, these things are more complex and have bigger backstory, but that's not important today. And I play a role in these things for allowing the codependency to develop, um, and also not knowing how to set a boundary and stand up for myself. Um, but another person, when I withdrew relationship from them because of being, um, used and, um, controlled and, and not wanting that anymore, um, her threatening to have my children taken from me, which is just like an unspeakable, someone who calls you your best friend um and then someone financially abusing me and not respecting boundaries and so the pain of those things have have resulted for me in relationship um this this intense fear of, of close friendship you know when all of your best friends have done these unspeakable things um I know that I have a guard up so much of the time and have become okay with it because it makes me feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so this is like the context for me meeting you a year ago. Let me give context for me meeting you a year ago. Okay. Almost one year exactly. Our anniversary is February 23rd. Oh my God. Reminder. I've reminded you before. I'll keep reminding you. Well, we'll plan a special dinner. I know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> 
So I had all these built-in friendships, and I do, I'm so lucky to have lifelong friendships with people that I've been friends with since I was 15, too, um, but they're all over the nation, and they're um, not in Waco. I have one close friend here in Waco, a best friend um, that I've had since the whole time I've been here, and she's wonderful. Shout out, Megan. Hey, Megan. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, going through becoming a divorced woman in the culture where I was immersed, um, there's a, a level of stigma. And, you know, I don't know how much of that was self-imposed stigma, but even, um, you know, just in our culture in general, uh, having elementary and middle and, and then early high school boys, children, uh, you know, everything is very... Uh, couples and family focused it's hard to be a full-time working single mom who you know has a career and has primary custody of your children and owns a home by yourself and does all of these things alone when my entire family lives in Atlanta um, I don't have any family here Um, I have you know before you the one best friend um, and who has two very small children and not a ton of extra time also works. And um, so I had spent two years really um, just alone. And, um, you know, my time, my actual physical time and, and, you know, emotionally in my heart, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to keep saying this because there are so many people in my family and friends love me, but from afar, and, and there's something to be said for, like, I just had been so accustomed to being surrounded by people, no matter what those friendships looked like. I had a rhythm of being consistently surrounded by people. And no matter what that marriage was like and how my heart felt inside of that marriage, I had a human to help drive kids places, to show up to company Christmas parties with me, to help with life. I wasn't, you know, physically I had another person there next to me. And um, I spent from the end of 2018 to, um, you know, kind of the beginning of this year, um, just like really just like physically alone. Um, It was just me and my boys. And um, just the loneliness of that. And to be honest with you, I had been... Um, incredibly lonely in my marriage for the 14 years that I was married. Um, incredibly lonely. Um, it wasn't as if I had had a partnership that I saw as partnership. Um, and um, yeah, so at that point, I when I met you, I wasn't even looking for friendship. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that I thought, um, I need to find a new friend in town. It wasn't even a possibility. Mm-hmm. I had given up. I had chosen to give up um, the old church. I had chosen to to give up marriage to in order to do what was best for my children and for myself. And um, and th- that was just a choice I made. And kind of like this is a choice I made. This is the cross I, I bear. And this is my life. This is my lonely, boring, quiet, alone sad life and then (laughs) and then february 23rd 
At one day. At one day. I had a business meeting during the middle of the day at one day. Yes, Courtney at the time was um, working for a company in town that does nonprofit fundraising. And I have a nonprofit that still is not off the ground because I need a whole nother, I need to clone myself in order to do that work. Um, but I'm always thinking about it um, because I so desperately want to offer health and healing and safety and services for trauma survivors and minorities that can't access them. And so it's always kind of in the back of my mind. And um, we were connected through some other people to meet, to to discuss Sophia House and showed up at one day. And, you know, we have maybe different versions of the story, but um, (laughs) we do. (laughs) We're going to arm wrestle about how this went down. I would prefer a thumb wrestle. (laughs) My upper body. I can't do inversions like you do. Uh, but I feel like maybe I have a, a strong thumb thumb game. But um, yeah, I, I experienced a trigger, a trauma trigger, um, as I was sitting down with Courtney, and without planning to or intending to, and and you know, with this backstory of knowing how guarded I am and was, and how how very much I just lived in fear of people and what they would do with my narrative um, and do to me. I was like, in in my accounting, um, something just happened, and I need to tell you the worst thing that I've ever done. <laughs> Hello, my name is Emma Church, <laughs> and I'm gonna share with you like what, like literally at the time, the worst thing I felt I had ever done in my life. Um, and so that was like the beginning of our conversation, and we talked about business for like, did we? I think like looking back. I All would, I remember is the trauma. No, no, you were like a little like <laughs> in a trauma response zoned out, but I didn't know that at the time um, on my first time meeting you. And uh, so Emma's telling me this. My, I think that I told her, I think she was telling me I'm experiencing something. Something's going on. I'm a little bit triggered right now. And then I'm like, okay, let me just tell you the worst thing I've ever done. And then I told her, like, my worst, my most shame-filled, shame. like, this is what I carry. This is the shame that I carry. The thing that I regret the most that I just ha- am filled with shame about that I don't want people to know. And then, I mean, I think it was a back-and-forth conversation, Emma. Well, and our stories of that particular trauma or shame are... I would say almost identical. Yeah, they're very, it's weird. As identical as they could be. Yes. And to mutually share that, um, the first time meeting, I still had no clue that I'd ever see you again. Right. Um, But then I said, (laughs) I said, we're going to leave and, you know, she's going to, you know, she's still very triggered and we're about to leave. And I'm like, I'll stand with you. I'll be with you. And then I was like, um, do you know what co-regulating is? She was like, <laughs> sure do. Sure do. <laughs> and I was like, would it be helpful for you if we co-regulated? Would you like to co-regulate? She was like, yes, I would. <laughs> so, I love the weirdness of this story. So, you know, we are co-regulating, which is we're outside of this bar one day and and my arm outstretched and my my palm is on Courtney's over Courtney's heart and her her palm of her hand is over my heart and we just 
close our eyes and connect to the energy that the other has to feel safe. And I love how, how freaking weird that is. It's like in front of God and everybody, in front of God and everybody, this, uh, at the time stranger. And, and, you know, everything does happen just the way it's supposed to, but what a beautiful way to start what now we know has become like such a profound relationship in, in both of our lives. Um, and yeah, beautiful, weird. I love the weirdness of it, but also <laughs> it's unexpected because, you know, I, I was not looking for friendship either. Mm-hmm. Um, I was afraid of friendship in yeah. fact. And so, you know, that, that co-regulating is almost like symbolic. Like I will keep you at this distance. At arm's length. I do have short T-Rex arms, so it's not <laughs> very far, but, um, after that, you just kept showing up. Mm-hmm. And for someone who is a people pleaser um, and, you know, doesn't know how to receive and only knows how to give, um, I'm the one that used to be the one that showed up all the time and, and it wasn't reciprocated back to me. And so I think, um, like, I was just kind of startled all the time that you, I was like, Courtney's in my life again. I'm doing headshots. Oh, can I do your makeup? I'm like, <laughs> you want to do a s- service for me for free? I'm and an actual makeup artist. She is. She's a <laughs> phenomenal makeup artist. Um, and so, yeah, it was like the beginning of something that I would have sabotaged had I known because of this fear of the intimacy and closeness and that that was would have been dangerous to be intimate and close and vulnerable with another person. Um, but healthy relationships, and I think most most literature from psychology talks about romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. People are not talking about friendship mm-hmm. in these ways, and I think it's so important. Um, but, you know, relationship theory is that if a relationship is going to be healthy and meaningful, it starts slowly and builds over time. And so I'm comforted also by the fact that though we did share our traumas in our first meeting, a trauma bond was not created there. Mm-hmm. Um, there it, was plenty of space. Like we didn't, yeah. we weren't on the phone that night for hours or the next day, or there was lots of space where it did start really slowly. Yeah, That was February. And then I remember months later, we really had a shift in June or July you know, we kind of built slowly, and and then uh, you guys have never heard anyone say "screw you" for making me love you <laughs> as many times as Emma has said it to me. <laughs> it's true. I'm like, why didn't you do this to me? <laughs> but it's great. Don't leave, please. <laughs> but if you need to, that's fine, and I honor and respect uh, that choice. Honor and accept that. But I love you, and this is this is scary. <laughs> so, like over this year. With me and with yourself and your personal growth, you know, share a little bit of what you've learned about codependency in your own life, if you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, I think that when I look back on my friendships and I've had so many changes in friendships and experienced death of friendships that have been really painful for me, Mm -hmm. uh, even over the last year. And more than than what I I shared about that more general broad group, which is included, but um, 
when I look back at that, I can just see in myself um, so much codependency and the way that that would manifest for me was I would just say or not say whatever the person in front of me wanted or needed to hear to make them happy, to make them accept me, to make them like me, to make them love me. So you like coconut? Sure. I like coconut too. I don't, I hate coconut. I hate it, Emma. You hate mayonnaise? Me too. (laughs) I don't, I love mayonnaise. That was our conversation this morning. (laughs) Secret. (laughs) Secret guilty pleasure. But that codependency you're talking about is like, how do you, how can you know who you are when you're loving coconut? Yeah. When you actually hate coconut. Exactly. And that's like the tip of the iceberg. For sure. And it's just, you know, in so many relationships, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't, in very, very close friendships, I did not reveal all of myself. And, you know, I, in, you know, very close friendships of decades, I chose not to be fully myself in order to what I thought is make the other person comfortable or make myself more comfortable or just not have to bring it up because I was scared. I was scared of, um, of conflict, Mm -hmm. scared of confrontation, scared, you know, I just have needed to have, um, some relearning experiences in my life of what conflict could look like. I've had so many years of, um, scary conflict that for me felt very um, scary and unhealthy um, that I've just like shut myself down to it and just peace at all costs, just avoided at all costs. And um, so, yeah, I think that I've like seen that over and over again in the place that I've come into over the last, even like three months, I've had this uh, rapid growth cycle Mm -hmm. um, and It's been uh, so beautiful. It's been, you know, the last few years have been the most, like, painful death to myself that I could ever imagine, death to my reputation, um, death to who I am, my identity, everything. And um, it has been the most, as, you know, our patron St. Glennon Doyle says, brutal experience, (laughs) brutal and beautiful experience. I wouldn't change a single thing, a single mistake, a single shame-carrying decision I made. I wouldn't change it. I would do it all again because I had to go through that death and resurrection in order to become who I am today. And I'm like, truly, 2021 has been like my happiest, freest, best, most wonderful year. And in the last three months, I've really just experienced this. Um, uh, it's going to sound so weird, becoming full of myself. I don't know how else to say it, but becoming so like, I literally, Emma knows this. I do this. Um, I visualize, um, becoming full of myself. So every inch of my body, I'll lay there and close my eyes in the morning when I wake up or at night before I'm going to bed, middle of the day, if I'm stressed out, I close my eyes and visualize filling up every centimeter of my body with myself with just Courtney McCormick, just me. And I, I'm not, I'm no longer concerned with other people. And I have, I, it's so ingrained to me inside of me to put other people first mm-hmm. and to be selfless 
And being selfless was my number one goal in life. Like if I wasn't selfless, then I was failing in life. And when that switched in my head, which also a little bit thanks to Glennon, (laughs) um, but you know, that I, uh, I, when I started thinking, stop thinking about other people, which at first was a very horrible thought and it felt so terrible and such like a wrong thought to have. So this is like this continuation of some, um, incorrect theology in my opinion, now incorrect theology. But when I thought my gift to the world and the God who has made me and the only version of me in the world is to be me. Mm -hmm. Like that is what I am supposed to be myself. So that's the most kind, loving thing I can do is to stop like just denying myself for other people and just starting to become full of myself. So what do I want to do? So what, what do I, how do I want to spend my time? Do I not want to talk to you, even though you're someone I love and maybe you want to talk to me? I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm not going to. What do I want to do? I want to take a bath and eat an ice cream sandwich in the bathtub, which happened last night. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do tonight instead of talking to someone. Like when I started making decisions three months ago based on this is what I want to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to think about myself and I'm going to be full of myself. Like everything, I've just... Everything has changed in my mind, in my heart, in my soul. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's so beautiful and so brave and having watched you enter into this season, um, it isn't risky. And I hope that maybe I'm a part of that for you is knowing that as you become full of you or fully you, Mm -hmm. that people who love you truly will not leave. Right. And the people who love you conditionally may leave. Uh Or if it's not a good fit. Even if it's not conditional love, yes, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And we're not supposed to be. Right. And sometimes you and I had a situation recently where we're talking about sometimes we hurt people and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, you know, we need to take ownership of things when we do things wrong. But there are going to be situations where I did nothing wrong and that hurt you and I'm okay with that. It's not going to kill me and you're okay, and this is what it is. It's just not in alignment with each other. And if we're open-handed, and this is where that attachment versus connection mm-hmm. thought comes in, that um, I read something recently, and it was um, that connection is what we develop when you know two souls come into contact with one another and there's a spark there when they co-regulate it one day. <laughs> they have a connection. And sometimes that connection over time can lead to like a deeper and deeper longing for commitment for one another. But when that longing for commitment or it turns into a desire to control and that turns into an attachment to another human, then that is when things start to get real gross. 
for me. These are my own words. Um, and you're starting to desire to control. And I see this over and over again. This is even in withholding information about myself. That's my desire to control other people mm-hmm. and control our, the outcome of our relationship, to control their opinions of me, to control how they react, to control how this conversation goes. And if I can just be open-handed and just be fully authentic with my, here is my connection to you, Emma. Here is why I love you. Here is how I feel about you. We're holding hands in real life. <laughs> and this is, this is my intention towards you. And I have no desire to attach to you and keep you uh, behaving in a certain way or making certain choices. If you move to New Zealand tomorrow, I will be sad and I'm not going to try to control that. Mm-hmm. And that is like where I'm like, this is the key to a relationship. It is. And I love how, you know, I, I never want to be in a victim role again. And I talk about a lot on, on the podcast, the things that have been done to me that have hurt me. Um, and, and yet also, you know, I have this desire always. And I think you do this in some ways better than I do, but to be accountable for my peace in it. And so in that control in relationship with codependency and, and maybe playing the role of an enabler, um, you know, over giving that, or like buying friendships by just going over the top and spending more than I can and all the things is an attempt to control the other person to to tie them to you mm-hmm. um and because my attachment style is that that you know we're all healing that I'm trying to heal and and you are such a huge part of that healing for me is anxious and avoidant anxious avoidant so it's like I want that closeness which I control by like being the best friend you have ever had, better than you could imagine, gifting and thoughtful and all the things. And then when the expectation is that I keep doing that from those people, it's not their fault Mm -hmm. that they then expect that from me because I've taught them that that is what friendship with me is. Then I go into the avoidant and I become distant and that's often when that acting out behavior in those friendships happen. And I play such a significant role in that by being dishonest with who I am and what I'm capable of and have the capacity for. And I think, you know, you talk about kind of avoiding conflict and those sorts of things. You know, there's this fear of you know, the past wounds that you've gone through, whether they be from a marriage or from a system, like if I turn the music up, I'm, I'm going to get yelled at. And so it doesn't matter if I want the music louder or not, I don't want to get yelled at. And, and, you know, that's not reflective of all people potentially, but because I've been punished or hurt or wounded or attacked for just normal human things in the past, it becomes very scary, I think, to show up in relationship and risk whatever that feared response is. Mm -hmm. And I think about that with our friendship. There have been times where I'm afraid to tell you a thing because I do care for you and our connection is so significant. And, And then I always push past that because our trust has been built um, 
because of who you are, because of how we are together. And I will tell you whatever that thing is, whether it's like I have this feeling towards you Mm -hmm. or like this is something so messy. I feel too vulnerable to share, Mm -hmm. but I I think that you would want to be that person. Um, It is always met with this um, connected, non-controlled, loving, supportive presence that just heals all those relational wounds over the course of time that have built up that make friendships so so terrifying for me. And so it's such a significant healing thing to do the thing that you fear and to have it be met with love. When I think about what I have learned in friendship from you and thought about this ahead of time, it's it's the exact same thing, Emma. I can remember, um, you know, just one um, story that an illustration of 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 that for me um, was a desire. Um, this was I don't know a few months ago, but a desire that I had to um, go back to a codependent relationship with a past person and not to enter into relationship, but to connect. So sometimes a codependency that can feel like a drug, right? It, it is an addiction for sure. It's an addiction. And, um, you know, I just had this deep desire, which I have had so much shame around um, the codependency and then that relationship in general and, and, you know, from various people that have made me feel shameful and that sort of thing. And I was at your house and, you know, I, in the past I would have just uh, kept it all to myself. My desire to want to go back to to use my drug, meaning reach out and have have this like, soul connection with this person that is a form of using of, of codependency. And I just would have either not told anyone because I don't want them to be like, Courtney, no, you cannot do that. This is, is this healthy? No. And that feels too like, why? I don't, I don't need that from you. I know that already. I, I don't want to enter in that. I don't, I'm not going to tell you, like, I don't need to tell other people what's going on because that I don't need that. That's not helpful. And I remember I was at your house and, you know, I was able, I shared with you and started sharing with you, like, this is the desire I'm having. And not only were you open and receptive to listen, but you were saying, tell me all the beautiful parts about this. And you held me and I cried on your chest and I got my tears all over your shirt and you held me and you were like, let me see pictures. Tell me what was beautiful. And like that broke something in me of that like a validation and acceptance and the ability to have space to talk about that. It did not feed my codependency. In fact, it did the opposite. And I think that we get so scared in our attachments to people wanting them to make the right choice and we see our other people's unhealth way more than we see our own most of the time. So when we see a friend wanting to use their drug, whether it's an actual drug or codependency or whatever, we want to say, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. 
But it's so powerful to like validate someone and to say, tell me more, tell me more. Let me hold you while you cry. Talk this out and just listen and hold space for that. That allowed me space for my brain to say, okay, like I'm safe here. This is a reality. And it like broke some power it had over me in that night. I remember that night and, you know, I just have grown into, especially over the last three years since my own divorce, um, and as a clinician, this constant desire to seek to understand because my judgments or thoughts about what is best for a person are based off of my own perception and not the reality of their lived experience. Right. And so I want in our close and intimate friendship to understand the pain of the loss of that connection and and the desire to go back. And so, you know, I don't do it intentionally. You know, you're like, I don't want you to be my therapist. I'm like, I'm not not being your therapist. I'm just being myself. But I always just like want and, and in that. I receive so much because you invite me into your heart space, into the tenderest spaces, into the the storylines that others don't have the privilege to access. And it makes me feel both close to you and it comes from a place of desire and not obligation. And I think that also is a piece of this like in our relationship, which is a connection and not an attachment, there's no need to control. There's just, um, and there's no like, I have to do this because Courtney wants this. Mm -hmm. It's based off of an authentic desire to be in that intimate, connected relationship with you and how beautiful the reality is that that is such a healing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no agenda I don't have any agendas for you ever, um, but I had no agenda to help in that situation. I just wanted to be with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were pretty intentional. I know I was, you just mentioned this, but when we first met, I said, uh, just so you know, I'm not in the market for a therapist. I already have a therapist. <laughs> I, I could use some friends right now, but I'm not in the market for a therapist. And you were like, perfect. <laughs> and then I've continued being yeah. like, are you being, I'm, it doesn't happen anymore, but at the beginning of our friendship, I was like, I don't want you to be my therapist. I don't want you to be my therapist. (laughs) I wonder if that's kind of maybe your version of like safety seeking that I've also done where it's like, um, a lot of communication checking in, like, is this okay? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want you to feel used. I don't Mm -hmm. want you to be my therapist. Like, is this okay? Am I too much? That's a big fear I have Mm -hmm. that comes from, a lifetime of that messaging of you're too much or too much. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can I, would it be okay if, and it's like so neurotic in, in the beginning of our friendship when things started to become more connected, would, would you mind if I might come over and if it's, that's not okay, that's fine. And, you know, just really wanting the other person to feel safe and consent to each relational experience that we had in whatever um degree that was whether it's going out or a conversation yeah 
Yeah. And you know, that's something too, that in conscious friendship that we continue to do that I find so helpful, not as much as at the beginning, it's not neuroses anymore, but we continue to, we talk about our relationship, uh, not constantly, but consistently. Mm-hmm. We consistently are like, this is how I feel about you. This is what my love for you is like. This is what I want for our future. This is how I feel when you're in my space. This is what I need right now. And it's like a, consistent checking in and like you said earlier there's so much reporting writing data journals about romantic relationships but not non-romantic relationships where like why aren't we doing this in our non-romantic relationships where we're just talking about our relationship our friendship yeah and it's it's so huge court and you know I think about us often when I'm doing work with with patients you know I think it's highlighted potentially in college students that I work with because friendship is like this everything Mm -hmm. um and just having this realization of both for myself and for my patients and for my past like your friends should treat you well Mm -hmm. And I think so many people, because we don't have education on what healthy friendship looks like, live lives in which their friends hurt and bully and um, dismiss and control and manipulate. And we still call that friendship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my clients always heal me. Always. I'm always growing. You know, I read incessantly through Audible with my ears um, about... Audible should sponsor you. Uh, Audible should sponsor me because I have paid them a lot of money for my copious library of of health and healing and spiritual and trauma-informed books that I'm constantly listening to. But it's just been this weird awakening in our friendship where, you know, we haven't hurt each other. And also knowing that we've talked about if we do, you know, what, what how we will handle that. But realizing for myself and for others, like, that that's not supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. And, and because, you know, coming out of being people pleasers, um, you get to this reality, like, it is impossible to please everyone. Mm-hmm. That is a hard reality to come to. Mm-hmm. And you fight it for a long time. And then when that happens, you're still trying to please most people. Mm-hmm. But realizing that these sorts of connections, these, what I believe is a lifelong connection, you you won't have many of them Mm -hmm. it's not about copious amounts um it is this quality and it is a privilege to have one or two or if you are so profoundly lucky three relationships of this nature in the course of your life and how much time and how much of yourself will you sacrifice in relationship where your full human dignity isn't a, a significant piece of, of that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm reminded daily of how lucky I am having you in my life. And and you are my family. Mm-hmm. You're my family. It's been the most beautiful gift this year. I mean, it, uh, one of the most beautiful gifts of my life to be able to find you this year at the beginning of the year and to merge our families into family for one another and as two single moms with children to be able to 
uh, enter into a family space with each other's kids Mm -hmm. and uh, show up for one another. And it's just been the most beautiful experience to live in that way without an expectation of you need to show up to do this for me. And every time we show up each other's houses, we're delighted. Mm-hmm. Emma was cooking for me the other night. <laughs> we made, she made dinner for me. Both our kids were with their dads one night. And as I was walking into her house through the back door, I could see her through the window just chopping food and cooking. And it literally, I had tears in my eyes with joy and gratitude and just so much love for you. And I just feel so... Um, like I can't even put it into words like how did I get this lucky to have you in my life I love you I love you and you know I think so much of this beauty that we get to experience is a result of coming through the storm Mm -hmm. as a result of living a life in which you had to die Mm -hmm. um you had to kill the the version of you that was part of that life and sit in the horror and fear and terror of aloneness Mm -hmm. and having nothing and nobody to get to a place of rebuilding Mm -hmm. and being able to be conscious in that rebuilding um and you know I'm, I'm passionate about single moms because what what you and I have it is rare and it's enviable you know, I, I want this for everybody. Mm-hmm. And if I knew it existed and I didn't have it, <laughs> I would be so jealous of us. Um, but it is possible. But but it is about being brave, mm-hmm. showing up and being honest and transparent, building trust with other people, not tying them to you through words or actions or gifts or expectations. And all of that is really hard work. And so... We are both so lucky and fortunate um, and also in ways that we might not have known have worked for maybe our whole lives to be prepared for this sort of way of connecting, Mm -hmm. which, you know, specifically when you are a single mom, there's no social norm for that, for friendship. Yeah. Like, you know, after my divorce trying to contact people that used to be our friends and they're still married and they're doing married people, kid things. Right. And it's like, where is the space for me? Mm-hmm. Where do I, where can I belong? Where can I show up and feel comfortable? Also, I can never leave my house because my children right? are here all the time. Like you're going to have to come over and sit on my booger covered couch. <laughs> if you want to see me, are you okay with boogers on the couch? <laughs> And there may be some people that are like, no. And it's like, well, then I guess you're not a fit. We don't align. Because life is messy. And I think neither of us hide that from each other. Right. Definitely not. We don't, I don't want to ever make a show of my life that is not reality Mm -hmm. for you. Because I do want you to have the choice to choose me. And part of that is terrifying. And part of that is based off of profound respect for you. And your love and your time and wanting you to have the full knowledge of who you choose to give that time and love to. Yeah. My favorite thing about our friendship is uh, one of my favorite things is that we both are our, our, our mutually shared awareness of 
each of our own level of unhealth. Yes. You as a therapist, I'm not a therapist, so I don't have any expectation of being healthy, but just coming into, we talk about in, you know, Emma often says that I speak like a therapist to my friends and to anyone, but my, I am so aware of my unhealth and you back with me. You have no, what you're saying, you have no uh, pretentious bone in your body pretending that you are, you have arrived into a level of health. And that is, I just respect that so much and love that. That creates so much safety for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so necessary. And I think a piece also is, you know, what you were saying about being withholding of information about wanting to use the drug of codependency or like Mm -hmm. a mistake that you may make. You see it coming. I might do this. I might do this. I know it's not good for me, but I don't know Am if I I'm going to do we it We both do that. I know. Both of us will tell each other, like, there's this thing that I'm thinking, I might do it. And we're like, okay, let me know what happens. And the reality <laughs> is, the reality is, Coco, that people do that constantly and never have a person that they share the ins and outs of it with mm-hmm. and then still do the thing where they sit in judgment of an of a friend yeah. doing it. I think that, you know, maybe we aren't all our worst critic. I know I am my worst critic. <laughs> and I know when I'm wanting to do a thing that's not what's best for me. And sometimes, and we talk about this, and I do tell my patients too, it's like sometimes we have to have the same learning experience like 75 times. Right. And then on that 76th time, you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. And that's when that's when you level up in your health. Right. But you can't subvert that process. Some no. of the learnings you do five times. Some of them you do one time. Some of them you do 150 times. Right. And the last thing you need is someone sitting over your shoulder judging you for it because you know, you know what you're doing, but your soul is not ready. That's right. I mean, that is, I'm like, yes and amen. Put it on a billboard, Emma, (laughs) because there is no amount of somebody over your shoulder saying, you know, lecturing you or berating you that is going to make your soul get it until your soul is ready to get it. And it comes back into the addiction speak, like... You're not going to quit whatever your addiction is until you are ready to quit. No one else can tell you now it's time to quit until you're ready to quit, whatever that might be. Well, I think the invitation both for myself and what I would hope for listeners is this idea of surrendering Mm -hmm. and letting go of the need to control the narrative for others. And that that, as I even invite that, that is one of the scariest things you can do as a human mm-hmm. is just surrendering to the reality of who you are, your life, the mistakes you've made. And as you do that, showing up messy and beautiful mm-hmm. and the things that stick are meant to be and the things that fall away are meant to fall away. Mm-hmm. And so in the surrendering, the great gift is that It may be painful, it may be terrifying, you may lose people, but you will gain the life that is meant for you. Mm -hmm. And and part of that are the people that your soul is tasked 
to love. Mm-hmm. And, and then it feels easy. Mm-hmm. I have never felt the ease of a friendship before. Mm. And what a beautiful thing. And, and yet how scary to surrender our need to control how people perceive us. Yeah. It's beautiful and so freeing, terrifying and the most freeing thing ever. Do you have something that you want to share with with our listeners about an embarrassing story about you? And, uh, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want them to hear and know. What were you going to ask? Well, you know, it's, my invitation is um, when I have people on, and this is such a, a beautifully different episode today. It just feels like a warm <laughs> hug. Um, but, you know, from your own learning... Like what, what would you want to tell other people who may struggle in their friendships with codependency or, or the things that you did, um, in your life history as you have come into this more healed place? What would you want them to know? Yeah. First of all, be seeing a therapist. (laughs) Therapy is cool, by the way, everyone. (laughs) It's like not stigmatized anymore. No. It's the cool thing to do. It is. Make your appointment right now. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I would just say like that thing that feels the scariest to you. So f- uh, there was a few layers of doing the scary thing over and over again for me. And and the first one of when I was going through a divorce and, and my drama in my life was it was the Jerry Springer show at my house for a while. And that was um, kind of against my will. And, you know. God put that into play and set that into motion without my consent. And I'm so grateful. And I'm like, yes, I am so grateful all that happened. Um, and a lot of things happened where I died to self. And that was horrible and wonderful. But then choosing to um, face friendships and allowing um, the release of relationships um not not quitting and walking away from things but opening your hands and allowing relationships to go wherever they go when you present yourself fully to another human being so an unedited version of yourself um and that doesn't mean that every human you come in contact with or count as an acquaintance or a you know light friend needs to know every level of you of course but as you present yourself fully um if if relationships are strained or that person doesn't reciprocate or doesn't like it then open-handedly with humility and kindness allowing things to move where they move and um there is sadness with that and there's loss and there's grief and there's also um you said earlier like it's like leveling up in your spiritual awakening awareness um and there's a sense of um lightness about about me now um where I'm living freely as authentically I think that's the best way to describe it just like well I'm a thousand percent full of myself and so if it's not a match there's you know what could be done it's not a match and so you're just walking around. I feel big in the in the world now. I feel 
I, you know, lost 50 pounds and feel bigger than ever. I feel big inside of myself. And um, just like I take up space in a really, really beautiful way. And yeah, that's what I do. I love that. And I just want to reflect on like, you know, some of the things that you have taught me about taking up space and, um, you know, the beauty of this friendship is that there are things that I, I teach you and grow you in. And then there are things that you teach me and grow me in. And, and I recognize that I'm not where you're at and I'm not jealous of that. It's inspiring to me, but um, for you as a woman to say, I like myself, mm. I am going to be as filled with who I am as I can possibly be, I'm going to take up space, is a brave thing. It is a brave thing for a woman to say because that is not the conditioning of our culture, not just within Christianity, although I feel like it is much more highlighted within um, within certain religious subcultures of women needing to make themselves small. Mm -hmm. But a woman who carries herself with all of the confidence to be who she is as, as big and as boldly as that will be for her is something that makes you a target of criticism. Like, who does she think she is? And she's so stuck up. And, da, 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 da. and my, my sweet, dear kindred friend is the most kind gentle humble human and yet she is filled with herself in the light of who she is and that is such a beautiful thing and a thing to be admired and cherished and and I think in health when we do that both men and women in health when we take up the space that that is ours to take up fully that that is something that is to be cherished and admired and um hashtag goals yeah because you're not um you're only filling yourself up and you're not filling up a room and you're definitely not trying to take up space inside someone else's soul right you're not taking space that isn't yours you're just taking your space yeah i'm not ever trying to command a room or control anyone's opinion of me or project any sort of image anymore and I was when I was not full of myself I was doing that a lot and I think that that is the difference is um it doesn't even feel like a balancing act it feels like a completely different paradigm yes just being full of yourself and only yourself and that's mm -hmm. it and in that you still are able to have love and connection. It does not rob you of the things that this command of selflessness told you you would get if you were right. selfless. If Yeah, if you're not selfless, if you're not putting others in front of yourself and you're not a loving person, it this has flipped that on its head, that belief I had mm -hmm. on its head because I feel more loving and more humble and more able to give in an authentic way and to impact the world around me for good in a in a a much deeper impactful way um without having to try mm, without having to try without like working and striving and clawing my way to what you said at the beginning 
of our chat today about when you were younger, you had wanted to save everybody because you didn't want them to go to hell. So I, you know, similarly, if you're always, how, who can I love today? Who can I love? Who needs a hug? How can I help other people? How can I, who can I bless today? That's exhausting. And you're going to burn out so quick and you're going to not be you. And you're going to forget who you are. And yeah, there's an alternative way. There is. And when you show up authentically as who you are, as filled with yourself as you can be, I think maybe this is that connection over attachment, the felt experience of the love feels so much more real. Mm -hmm. Like when you love me and all my flaws, Courtney, and all of my like, when you tell me I did a thing that I don't remember and I'm like, how, why are you still my friend? (laughs) I like, I'm shocked that you still show up. I do not remember doing that, but I guess I'm a little bit wackadoodle, but the security of the love, it's so true Mm. because it's, it's freely given. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, it's just been a process of learning to receive it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we are at the end of 2021 in this totally unexpected friendship that has been such a growing and learning experience for both of us as we've made mistakes and had other friendships and relationships and all the things. Um, It has just provided this safety and security because you see me, you know me. And you still show up, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't make sense to You're me. the best. You're the best. You're the very best. Of course, I'm here. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our <laughs> love fest today. You know, I think women loving and elevating each other is something that is so needed. Um, maybe not necessarily in, in the depth of this type of friendship, but just in general to to praise and see and shine a spotlight on each other so that we all are able to rise together and not leave anyone behind. And and so, you know, if, if that's what you've gotten, you know, listening to two um, women who care deeply for each other and each other's well-being and success and health, regardless of what that means for themselves or if it has opened your eyes to the possibility of a type of connection that you didn't know existed but can. I just, I have high hopes that this has blessed you all because, you know, this is the treasure. This is one of the treasures of my life. I'm not going to bring my three daughters on anytime soon. There are the other (laughs) treasures. That would be a total shit show. But um, I'm just so grateful to have, to have my, my partner in crime um, my best friend that I can say without um, having a trauma response anymore to the term <laughs> here today so that we can share about our growth together. And I hope that we end this year gently and move into the next with all of its uncertainty, um, with the knowledge that if you live with your with your hands open and surrender to what is, that life can be more beautiful than you thought it could ever be. So happy new year, fellas. I love you all and hope to have more beautiful chances to talk and share stories in the new year. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time on the next episode of Sister Speak. Bye.
Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com. Music.